Hello and welcome to Taiwan Roundup. It is the second week of November, or as we call it, week 45. <laughs> Which is kind of concerning if you consider that there's only 52 weeks and we're already at week 45. That doesn't leave much time left for the rest of 2021. I am quite hyped up. I just uh, watched Sunday's replay of the UFC. If you watch UFC, you'll know what I'm talking about. It was quite violent and quite bloody, I have to say. But uh, yeah, so I caught up on that. And then I didn't think it was going to get as cold as it is today. I was in YR this weekend and managed to get a bit of sun on Saturday, even Sunday. But then Monday, everything changed and it changed really quick. The temperature dropped by at least 10 degrees. I have come home in Shindian on the mountain. It's even cooler and uh, my cats are very fluffy and very sad for themselves. So I took out their winter beds and I'm very close to taking out the oil heaters if this kind of temperature continues for the rest of the week. I have to say, we did not really have any kind of in-between this year. If this is the beginning of winter, then we literally just fell into it. We usually have like a couple of days or a week or two weeks to transition between summer and winter. But this year has been really fast so well we'll see we'll see how things go with the weather then we have a lot to get through as usual we'll cover some of the global news events of the week a little bit of entertainment some health things that I want to share with you also at the end of the show I'll share some of the community things there's a, a pool party this weekend <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work, but I think it's at a place with hot pools as well and a sauna and stuff. So uh, it might work. It might work. So at the end of the show, I'll share those details with you and tell you where to go. Something interesting happened, though, that I wanted to share. And that was um, I have a friend moving house and we were sort of talking about, you know, moving house. Goodness me. Apologies for the humming disturbance in the background. My neighbor decided to buy his 18-year-old son a Corvette and he has subsequently painted said Corvette bright orange and he likes to start the Corvette and just have it idle outside on the road and then oh he's actually taking off he usually just sits and idles outside the road anyway if you could hear that disturbance I apologize so what I was going to say is I have a friend moving house and we were talking about you know, packing and moving and stuff like that. And it is actually quite spectacular moving house in Taiwan. If you see how people carry stuff here, just a washing machine on their back, it's it's quite spectacular. Most moving companies, if you have never moved in Taiwan, this might, might be interesting to you. Most moving companies will charge you a set fee per truck. So let's say a small blue truck, that would be, let's just randomly say 9,000 NT. However, if you have to, if they have to go upstairs, as in walk upstairs, they'll probably charge you another thousand NT per flight of stairs that they have to go up. And if there's an elevator, then that's four foot. If they have to assemble or disassemble things, there's another charge, etc., etc., etc. Now, in addition to moving, they can also pack for you. I don't know how much that costs, but if you are one of those people that absolutely dread moving because of the packing part of moving, 
you can ask the company to come in and they actually do a really good job. They do this for a living. So in addition to moving washing, machi washing machines up and down staircases, they can also come in, they bring boxes, they bring packing materials, and they will, I think they even label boxes depending on which company you get. They'll go in to the office, for example, wrap and pack everything into a box and label it office or whatever. So there you have it. If you have to move in Taiwan, it doesn't have to be such a dreadful thing. They have quite perfected the art of moving here. The moving company will come in, not only move your things for you, but they will also pack everything for you. So <laughs> a random thing I wanted to share. <laughs> anyway, we better get with the show. And without further ado, we're going to start with our weekly show. Well, as you know, there was this very big climate summit, the COP26, that went on this week. And South Africa made the news. This is from the BBC. South Africa to receive $8.5 billion to end the reliance on coal. In a deal announced at the COP28 climate summit, President Cyril Ramaphosa has called it a watershed moment. The country is currently a major emitter of greenhouse gases as a result of its addiction to coal which it uses to generate electricity. This deal, funded by wealthier nations, could have both global and local implications. The vast scale of the coal operation run by the country's state-powered company ESCOM makes South Africa the 12th biggest carbon dioxide emitter in the world, according to the Global Carbon Atlas. Some of those at the heart of South Africa's coal industry, hope that the latest deal could ease the environmental and health impact of the power sector. That is interesting. Coal and electricity in South Africa. Well, considering that most people don't have electricity in South Africa, that is a very large and very concerning number if it's the 12th biggest carbon dioxide emitter. I don't even know how that's possible, but anyway. This is a happy story. Staying with BBC, this is little Cleo Smith from Australia, the four-year-old who went missing in Australia. She went missing for 18 days in a remote part of Western Australia and she was found alive in a locked house, police said. Little Chloe Smith disappeared from her family's tent at a campsite on the 16th of October and it triggered a mass search for her. A 36-year-old man is in custody and being questioned by detectives. The police smashed their way into the house in the early hours of Wednesday morning following forensic clues. It's very cute. There's actually a, a, an audio. They haven't played a video, but it's an audio recording where you can hear the police officers say, um, I have her, I have her. And then, what's your name? And she says, my name is Cleo cutest little voice and they were like oh hello Cleo so yeah but again they leave you in the dark they don't really give you the gory details although you don't really want to know the gory details in a case like this but if you don't know the gory details like why did he take her then you keep wondering and I think that's probably worse but nonetheless a happy story little Cleo found this is interesting this is from Express UK. Archaeologists were stunned 
by a 5,000-year-old, what they call Scottish Pompeii settlement. The Duncansby Head Lighthouse marks the northeasterly point of Britain's mainland. It is almost 880 miles from Land's End in the southwest of England. <laughs> and then if that's not confusing enough, just beyond here are the Orkney Islands. There are 70 of them, and they are known for their ancient secrets. 20 of the islands are inhabited, with a population of about 22,000. Oh my goodness. Uh, the, largest pop the largest group of these people, the 22,000 people, the largest part of the population, live on an island called, evidently, the mainland. Scarabra, Scarabra, on the mainland's west coast, has attracted particular attention as a documentary filmmaker's said in a recent documentary on Netflix, it is a 5,000-year-old settlement that has been called the Scottish Pompeii. An incredible window into the lives of ancient people who lived here once, a long time ago, 5,000 years ago. It was only discovered in 1850 when a severe storm stripped the earth from the site. Europe's most complete Neolithic village, each house shares the same basic design, a single large room fitted with stone-built cupboards, dressers and beds, all laid around a square hearth. The inhabitants would all gather around the fire during Orkney's long and dark winters. Well, if they have 22,000 people living on these islands or on the mainland of these islands now and they were already people living there 5,000 years ago. I can't imagine it was a lot of people. The winters must be really, really quite horrible if it attracts so few people, but nice historic site, relatively intact, according to this article. Still on the UK Express, and this is a story from a long time ago, a race car driver named Michael Schumacher, which most people probably know about. And there have been questions about his health and what's going on. And this is also from a Netflix documentary. The new Netflix documentary about racing driver Michael Schumacher has reignited concerns and questions about the Formula One driver's health. Here is what we know now. Michael Schumacher's life and career has been documented in Schumacher, now streaming on Netflix. The film follows the German Formula One racing legend in his early years to the very top of his sport, where he dominated with seven world championship titles and 91 victories before a horrific accident changed his life forever. On December 29, 2013, Schumacher was skiing with his son, who was then 14, in the French Alps, while crossing over a reportedly unsecure area, he fell and hit his head on a rock. He was wearing a helmet, doctors said. If he hadn't, he would be dead. But it cracked in the impact, leaving the racer with a serious head injury. He was put into a medically induced coma and underwent two operations to remove blood and pressure from his brain. Treatment 
for what doctors called a traumatic brain injury continued for some time, with the family keeping news scarce. About six months after the incident, he is believed to have started coming out of the coma. Six months. Oh, my goodness. The family issued a statement that they will they strongly believe in his recovery and that he will wake up, but it will take a long time. So very, very cryptic in what they said. After, and in September 2014, so this is almost a year later, Schumacher was brought back to his town and his home in Lake Geneva for further rehabilitation. And he has been there ever since, with the family keeping news of his health very private. The full details of his condition has never been known to public but here are some clues and speculations. Okay, I'm not going to read the rest of the article because it's sort of a little bit uh, clickbaity, but basically his wife um, issued a statement in which she said she really misses him, kind of implicating that he's away, but he's still there, something like that, which doesn't sound so good. And then a friend of the family said that um, he is in a wheelchair and it's difficult for him to communicate if he can communicate at all. And then they also asked the doctor and he said basically he thinks that it's very difficult and that he's in a semi-vegetated state, um, unable to move by himself, speak by himself or anything like that. But that is probably just speculation since the doctor didn't confirm that he saw him or anything like that. But that's very sad. Very sad indeed. It's been a long time, right? I mean, an accident happened in December, well, December in a month, so... Eight years ago, that is a long time. Well, let's hope. There's always hope. There's a couple of things from the Financial Times. This one is related to dear Greta about global campaigns. Young activists harnessed social media to fire up global campaigns. Discontent with action on carbon emissions is spreading into the broader activism for social justice. Ayana Scholes was one of thousands of climate campaigners who marched through Glasgow on Friday to call for drastic action on climate change. Her call to the COP26 negotiators in in the Scottish city an immediate halt to the use of fossil fuels, regardless of its effect on the economy. We can't eat money. So we might as well prioritize the planet, said Scholes, 19, an international student at Glasgow University. I feel a lot of disappointment with the world leaders, especially seeing as they are generally very old. (laughs) And they are not going to have to deal with the issues that we are. Well, she's right there. (laughs) The march organized by the Friday of Future movement, founded by Sweden's Greta Thunberg, and other protests by young people during the two-week Glasgow summit are highlighting how youth activism has driven climate debate over the past three years. Well, that's very good. Youth are getting behind it. I wonder if they uh, will give up their cell phones if they know how it was made. (laughs) Uh, They're old, she says, just like that. A couple of things entertainment-wise from the Daily Mail. First thing, 
Jay-Z calls his pal Dave Chappelle super brave and a super genius as he defends the comedian over his Netflix special Backlash. I think great art is divisive, he says. Jay-Z went on record defending his friend Dave Chappelle in the wake of Backlash following his Netflix special The Closer. Well, Jay-Z is the second. Last week, uh, Caitlyn Jenner also spoke up and said that she agrees with Dave Chappelle, more so leaning towards freedom of speech and so on and so on. So Dave Chappelle is getting some support. This is Will Smith. We're still in the Daily Mail. With Will Smith says that he drank the psychedelic drug ayahuasca over 12 times during a retreat in Peru while he was having marital issues with his wife. The spiritual process is more about detox, he said. He sat down for a candid interview with Oprah Winfrey for her latest installment of The Oprah Conversation, which premiered on Apple TV on Friday. Ooh, interesting. Ayahuasca. And this from People. I talked about this a couple of weeks in a row now. Queen Elizabeth's health. Uh, Queen Elizabeth is getting the go-ahead from doctors to fly to Sandringham for the weekend. The Monarch 95 flew by helicopter from Windsor Castle to Sandringham on Thursday, according to The Telegraph. Although health concerns in recent weeks have kept her from public events, including the cancellation of her appearance on the COP26 COP climate change conference, in Glasgow, doctors have allowed her to make the trip to her home in Norfolk for a weekend visit. Located about 100 miles north of London, Sandringham is traditionally used by the Queen and the Royal Family for entertaining over Christmas and for a winter break. They exchange gag gifts in Sandringham House on Christmas Eve before heading out on Christmas morning for church at St. Mary Magdalene Church. I have a picture of this house. I don't think I'm pronouncing it right. San Sandringham. 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 And I'm re-watching Downton Abbey at the time. And I have to say, this house reminds me a lot of the houses in Downton Abbey. It is just beautiful. Huge red brick house with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 12, 16, 20, oh, 24 windows visible on the front side with little towers and pointy ceilings. It's just beautiful. And the lawns look like a golf course. Beautiful driveway that, that pulls up to it. I wonder if they have butlers and things in the house. They must have, right? Such a big house. I mean, someone has to run it. Following an overnight stay in hospital on October the 20th, Buckingham Palace confirmed Friday that the Queen has been advised by her doctors that she should continue to rest for at least another two weeks, in addition to using a walking cane to get around at events last month. The Queen also reportedly has been advised in recent months to give up horse riding and martinis. Huh, I think that's very unreasonable. You should never give up martinis, surely. Queen Elizabeth has continued to undertake light desk duties and even cracked a joke during the jovial video call with the Queen's gold medal for poetry last Friday. 
And on Monday, she was spotted driving solo around the grounds of Windsor Castle. She was actually driving her doggies around. She's got these cute little doggies. And she drives them to where they like to go for a walk. This one popped up on the Politico, although I didn't um, just see it by accident. I did actually look it up because I have heard people talk about it on some of the talk shows. And it's, it's uh, I don't know, I'll just read it to you and then you decide what you think it is. Um, the headline is, What Biden is Keeping Secret in the JFK Files? President Joe Biden has once again delayed the public release of thousands of government secrets that might shed light on the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Okay, this is President Biden's uh, official <laughs> response. I'm going to try and read it without stumble. Temporarily continued postponement is necessary to protect against identifiable harm to the military defense, intelligence operations, law enforcement, or the conduct of foreign relations that is of such gravity that it outweighs the public interests in immediate disclosure. Bryden wrote in a presidential memorial on late Friday. Who knows what that means? <laughs> Not me, that's for sure. <laughs> I think that was written purposely to confuse. He also said that the National Archives and Record Administration, the custodians of the records, need more time to conduct a declassification review due to delays caused by the coronavirus pandemic. Well, I hate to break it to you, but the coronavirus pandemic has not been around for more than 50 years. And this has been going on for more than 50 years, hasn't it? The decision follows a delay ordered by President Donald Trump in 2017. It means scholars and public will have to wait even longer to see what remains buried in the government archives about one of the greatest political mysteries of the 20th century. And a review, and the review process for the remaining documents means Biden can hold the release further if the CIA or other agencies can convince him that they reveal sensitive sources or methods. I mean, if you're still using the same sources of 50 years ago, goodness me. Uh, political opinion polls have long indicated that most Americans, most of the world, I guess, do not believe the official conclusion by the Warren Commission that the assassination was the work of a single gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald, a former Marine who once defected to the Soviet Union and was shot dead by a nightclub owner, Jack Ruby, while in police custody. A special house committee in 1978 concluded on the basis of the evidence available to it that President John F. Kennedy was probably assassinated as the result of a conspiracy. Da, da, da. I wonder why. It's almost like a, a movie. You know, sometimes how they, they're supposed to end the movie or a show, but they realize there might be an option for a season two or a second part of the show, and then they sort of drag the end out, and they don't really give you the ending, and you're like... And then you're angry. You don't. You, you decide that you're not going to watch season two because they should have given you the ending or a conclusion to the first season. But then you end up watching the second season because your own curiosity is stronger than your will to protest. <laughs> this is exactly that, isn't it? <laughs> the two doctors that I like to follow on Twitter both had some interesting articles this week. I'll read you... 
Dr. Rhonda Patrick's post on her Twitter page, which is found my fitness, all one word. A small study, a small study found that children with ADHD, given both vitamin D, 50,000 units per week, plus magnesium, 6 mg per kilogram per day, supplements for eight weeks, had fewer emotional conduct and peer problems as well as improved pro-social score, scores versus children given a placebo. That's very interesting, isn't it? And then keeping with the magnesium, vitamin D, calcium sort of theme, Dr. Weil had an article, at Dr. Andrew Weil, and he's from his website, drandrewweil.com, had an article about sleeping. Melatonin is a brain hormone that regulates our sleep cycles. The pineal gland, pineal gland secretes it when lights fade. It reaches its peak level at the darkest part of the night and subsides as the retina detects the onset of morning light. Well, I sleep with a pillow over my head, so <laughs> I don't think my retina is detecting anything. <laughs> In those who have difficulty falling asleep, taking Melatonin supplements often help. It can be used to reset the body clock after traveling across time zones, and it, in low doses, it is safe to take regularly. If melatonin doesn't work for you, however, there are other natural remedies that you can take. So, just one side note on the melatonin thing. Um, I have took melatonin, and it gave me crazy dreams and then somebody else I mentioned I didn't mention I was taking melatonin I just said I was having crazy dreams and someone else said are you taking melatonin and I said oh funny you should mention that so apparently for some people you get these intense dreams if you take melatonin so not one size fits all especially not with sleep so here are some other things you can take valerian is extracted from the Valeriana officialiana, <laughs> something like that, a flower, I, I guess, or a root of a flower. It has a long history of use for sedation. Sensitivity is very individual, so the amount needed will vary. Some people find it usual to recommend the dose, a stronger dose, but that might lead to a hungover feeling the next day. 2020 study attributed variations in the inconsistency of the product. So, okay, so that means different for every person. Another thing is L-theanine, T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E. L and then theanine is an amino acid extracted from tea that works by reducing anxiety often the common cause of insomnia. Unlike other sleeping aids, L-theamine is not a sedative medication or supplement. It may be taken even during the day since it does not cause drowsiness. Another one is hops, humulus lupulus. <laughs> uh, hops is found in beer and its supplement as a natural relaxant and sedative. Does that mean if you drink beer, you get tired? 
When insomnia is related to muscle tension, hops may be a good choice. Oh, that's nice. That's good to know. Then Dr. Weil goes on by saying, over-the-counter sleep aids, those that say there are some kind of PM formula, typically contain um, Benadryl antihistamines, and he does not recommend taking those as they have undesirable side effects, including the increased risk of dementia if they are used long-term. However... If you, oh, and then the insomnia can come back when you stop using them. I have used a lot of different remedies and things, and I was eventually diagnosed with a severe sleeping disorder, so I've also gone down the benzodiazepine lane. I've just recently come off them again. And for me, I still struggle to sleep, but I have a little routine. Before I go to bed, about an hour before I go to bed, I take a nice big calcium supplement. So that makes me quite drowsy, actually, calcium. So I thought I would add some calcium to this article since it's all about sleep and I use calcium for sleep. But calcium, as you know, have a lot of benefits over and beyond sleep. So this is an article I found in a publication called Life Strong. And you can go to their website, lifestrong.com. And it's about calcium, the benefits of calcium before bed. Calcium is critical for strong bones and teeth. And the body's most abundant mineral may also help keep you well rested and healthy. Research shows that consuming calcium-rich foods or taking a calcium supplement before bed could help you fall asleep and stay asleep. Getting calcium at bedtime may also help prevent mineral deficiencies and bone loss that lead to osteoporosis. Calcium helps form bones and teeth and is essential for nerve, enzyme, heart, muscle, blood clotting functions. Inadequate intake of the mineral can lead to early bone loss, which can result in weak bones and an increased risk of fractures in older adults. The National Institute of Health's Office of Dietary Supplements recommend that adults 19 to 50 years old consume 1,000 milligrams of calcium daily, while adults 51 and older consume 1,200 milligrams. A good source of calcium includes dairy products, green leafy vegetables, salmon and sardines. If you're not getting enough calcium from your diet, you're at risk of osteoporosis, and you're at risk of osteoporosis, you may need to get a calcium supplement. Calcium is a natural sleep aid that can help you fall asleep and have a restful sleep. The mineral contains tryptophan, uh, an amino acid the body uses to produce melatonin, a natural hormone that helps induce and maintain sleep, the National Sleep Foundation reports. Research shows low calcium levels are associated with disturbed sleep patterns including lack of deep REM phase, according to the medical news today. When levels of calcium are inadequate, you may wake up soon after falling asleep and have trouble falling back asleep. Let me tell you something. With all of these institutes, the Institute of 
Nation, 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 National Sleep Foundation Institute Health Office of Dietary Supplements. <laughs> You'd be surprised that we have any kind of diseases or ailments left. I mean, this so so something for everything, isn't there? Yeah. So calcium. So I take a, a I just buy the Now Foods one, and it's a huge pill, but it's a soft gel, and it contains a good amount of magnesium as well as zinc, which is very important. The only problem with calcium is it's a bit like um, not very smart, I would say, uh, as far as supplements go or minerals. Uh, it doesn't always know where to go. So it needs the help of vitamin K to get it to where it needs to go. I don't eat any seafood at all, which contains a lot of vitamin K, nor do I eat any kind of fermented foods like tofu, I think is a good source of vitamin K. I don't eat that either. So I do take a vitamin K supplement as well, but I take it only twice a week. So twice a week I'll take a vitamin K supplement and then every evening before I go to bed I take I take 1,500 and yeah, I feel pretty good. I also feel, um, I don't know if, if it's just psychological, but I do feel that it helps me sleep. It could just be the routine of taking it every night before sleep. But that is something that you could try if you're having some sleeping problems. All right, now I want to look at some of the headlines and things that made news in Taiwan this week. And I'm going to start with an article on the Taipei Times, which is the Taoyuan Metro is to hold disaster drills at two of its stations. The drills had been planned previously and are not in response to the attacks on the Tokyo Metro, the Taoyuan Metro Corp said. The disaster drills will be held at two stations, Sanjong and New Taipei Industrial Park stations. The company said that it has always emphasized safety since the Taoyuan International Airport MRT line began in 2017, and it has conducted nine drills so far, together with the Taoyuan City Police Department Metro Police Division. The drills have focused on scenarios involving disaster response, criminal attacks, Hostage rescue and explosives, the company said. Huh. Interesting. So don't freak out if you see something happening on those at those stations. This is from the American Chambers newsletter. They have a newsletter that comes out, and this is the November rundown. PX Mart to acquire RT Mart. PX Mart announced on October the 22nd that it will acquire the Taiwanese hypermarket chain RT Mart. The deal, which is awaiting regulatory approval, is expected to be completed in mid-2022. The French hypermarket operator Carrefour has also expressed interest in recent months in selling its Taiwan operations. According to PX Mart chairman Lin, both Carrefour and RT Mart had approached PX Mart with offers to be bought out. Interesting. This is from... Focus, Taiwan Focus, Taiwan hospitals to begin clinical trials on vaccine booster shots. Taiwan's Changgong Memorial Hospital aims to begin clinical trials in two weeks to determine which brand of COVID vaccine to use in its booster shots. The hospital official said Saturday the hospital recently received approval from the Ministry of Health and Welfare to conduct the trials which will see fully vaccinated people with AstraZeneca vaccines, as in two shots of AstraZeneca, to receive a third booster shot 
from a different brand, according to Chiu Cheng Shun, who led the hospital's vaccination team. The hospital plans to recruit 400 people for the trial and are focusing on frontline medical workers and airline crew because these groups are at higher risk of contact, contracting the disease, Cho said in an event on the 12th of November at Doctors Day Taipei. All right, so the third booster shot they would like to give to people who have had AstraZeneca, two shots, and then they'll try one of a different brand, I guess, Moderna or something else, Pfizer. I don't know what else we have. Oh, Medigen. We also have Medigen, the Taiwanese um, vaccine. Um, keeping with vaccines and viruses, Taiwan records its first imported Moderna BioNTech breakthrough COVID infection on Friday, reported that the first breakthrough COVID-19 infection for an individual arriving from overseas who was inoculated with both Moderna and BioNTech shots. The man in his 60s was one of eight people entering Taiwan and confirmed this week to have been infected with the Delta variant of the coronavirus. The traveler who had received a Moderna and a BioNTech shot, jabs, BioNTech Pfizer, right? BioNTech jab had arrived from South Africa. Meanwhile, the Delta cases... Meanwhile, other Delta cases came from the United States, United Kingdom, Russia, Cyprus, and Malaysia, according to the Central Epidemic Command Center, CECC. This is, this is a, I don't know what to make of this. This is sort of a coincidence story, but it has had made the Chinese newspapers. This is from Yahoo News. And this is, uh, there are two incidents of, people with knives, actually, to be to be accurate. One had a knife, one had a pair of scissors, I think, on the MRT. And guess which one? Yes, the one that I have just started taking, the Shindian line. So the first incident was a man, a passenger, on the Taipei MRT at 10 o'clock in the evening on the 3rd. It was a 60-year-old passenger named Lin. And he was on a train bound to Shindian. Oh, wonderful. At, uh, he got on at the Shimen station and suddenly he flashed a knife and threatened to kill someone, I think. Well, translation says kill. Maybe it wasn't so severe. Online police police report uh, were reported. Later, the police were dispatched to the scene and they have taken him to the prosecutor's office at Taipei City District prosecutor's office so it seems like there was an argument over a priority seat and Mr. Lin then pulled out what appears to be either a uh, what do you call that box cutter or a scissor or something like that something with a blade and he is in trouble for that now the reason why this is a peculiar case and why it was reported probably is oh nobody was injured and that first one. But then about 12 hours later, the next morning at 9 a.m., another passenger, also 65 years old, named Chai, took, guess which, which MRT? Yes, 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 the same one, the Xindian MRT. And when he passed Gongguan, he suddenly pulled out a 7-centimeter fruit knife. People panicked, pressed the buttons, and got off the train. The police were dispatched. However, this man wasn't in any kind of uh, argument with any passengers or anything. He sort of just, I guess, sat there with a the knife. So they have taken him 
to a social welfare space to check if he is doing okay. It seems he's uh, perhaps got some other issues, but it was not a malicious thing. So that two situations with knives on the exact MRT that I now take, mm. as luck would have it. This is from Bloomberg. China sanctions three Taiwan leaders in, in a retaliation effort. China has hit three top Taiwanese politicians with what it says is punishment that could be followed by criminal prosecution as Beijing seeks to retaliate against Taiwan's overture for greater international support. Premier Su, the foreign Premier Su, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, Legislative Yuan President, and a Legislative Yuan President Yeo, and their relatives are all banned from entering the mainland, Hong Kong and Macau, the Taiwan Affairs Office in Beijing said in a statement on Friday. The trio and any entities affiliated with them would also be prohibited from working with the mainland-based organizations and individuals, while companies linked to them would be banned from making profits there. The Taiwan Affairs Office sue... Uh, accused Su, Wu and Yo, <laughs> the, the Taiwan Affairs Office accused Su, Wu and Yo of fanning up hostility across the Taiwan Strait and maliciously smearing the mainland. Without naming the island's Chen Shui uh, Tsai Ing-wen, they also went on to say, those who forget their heritage betray the motherland and seek to split the country uh, and seek to split the country will come to no good, they said. Oh my goodness, hashtag hissy fit. All right, this is from the Taiwan English News. And this is again close to home for me in Waiau at the Usu port. The Usu port is that uh, harbor just uh, south of Waiau Beach. The Coast Guard and the police and police officers arrested three men after boarding a fishing boat and uncovering 720 kilograms of amphetamines at the Usu port in Ilan. Usu port in Ilan. According to reports the United Daily News, the Taipei Police Department Criminal Investigations Division received intelligence several days ago that a fishing vessel Zhengwang No. 2 was suspected to be involved in a smuggling operation. The police informed the Coast Guard administration the vessel was kept under surveillance until it entered the Wuxi port. Then they, when the port docked, the police and the Coast Guard personnel boarded the vessel uh, with a search warrant. The officers found three large sacks with a total of 719.9 kilograms of amphetamines. The captain of the Jin Wang number two and two other men were arrested on the spot. I wonder what they mean by amphetamines. That could mean a lot of stuff, couldn't it? There's amphetamines, then there's methamphetamines. So amphetamines could... I wonder if that's a specific thing. It could be a lot of different things, probably. A lot of different things. Oh, this is quite sad. This is also from the um, English news. A newborn who died after birth is the youngest suspected vaccine injury that's been reported so far. Taiwan's Central Ep Epidemic Command Center, the CECC, announced that a total of nine fatalities 
were added to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System on Wednesday, including a one-day-old baby whose mother was vaccinated during pregnancy. The CECC spokesman Chuang, speaking at a daily press conference briefing on November 3rd, said that the one-day-old newborn had died on October the 7th due to abdominal blood clotting, abnormal blood clotting. Chuang said the mother had received the first dose of Moderna vaccine on July the 19th and the second dose on August the 13th. Other than a sore arm, the mother did not experience any adverse effects following the shots. The woman went into labor and gave birth on October the 6th. However, the baby was found to have abnormal blood coagulation function after birth and he died the afternoon of October the 7th. Oh, that's so sad. The cause of the death was acute pulmonary hemorrhage and diffuse intervascular coagulation, according to the medical report. Chuang said that the family of the infant will receive assistance in applying for vaccine victim compensation. The infant's death was one of 208 suspected, suspected vaccine-adverse events reported on Wednesday, of which... 96 were classified as severe adverse events and 9 were fatal. That is very sad to hear. This is a bit of a, a happier story following that one. A cold front is approaching, but the Geelong city has delayed construction of an underpass to keep it op open for homeless people. That's very nice. Hats off to the Geelong city government who has decided to temporarily delay the renovations of one of its pedestrian underpasses as a cold front bearing down on Taiwan is expected to bring sharp, a sharp drop in temperatures. The councillors worry that homeless people may have nowhere to go for shelter. The Geelong city government decided to renovate the Cheng Huang Temple Dong An Plaza underpass after it was reported that the tunnels were prone to leak during the rain, it had graffiti and it had a dingy appearance. The Geelong City Department of Works originally planned to close the pedestrian underpass on Monday, November the 8th, with renovations expected to be completed in February 2022. However, the cold front, in combination with a northeast monsoonal rain expected to arrive this week, plunging temperatures to, the four, to 14 degrees Celsius, it was decided to postpone the construction so that pedestrians and street friends, <laughs> that's cute, street friends can have shelter from the rain and the cold. Oh, that's really nice. Well, well done, Geelong. Maybe you should just give them a place to stay instead of living under a bridge. But yeah, I guess it's better than nothing. I actually, um, when, when I got to Taiwan in the first five years, I would even say stretch it to 10 years, I think I maybe saw one perhaps two homeless people around Taipei Main Station. It was just not something that was um, very visible in Taiwan. I don't know if it, if it wasn't around or if it just wasn't visible. I did hear at one point that if you are homeless, you can apply for a special ID or something, and then you can go to temples like Longsan Temple, and they will give you meals with this ID. So... Um, I don't know if that's still the case, but that was the case before, which is also quite nice, I think. It would be nicer if they just gave them a place to sleep, a proper place to sleep. 
But in the absence of that, food and a little bit of underground shelter is probably still a step in the right direction. Don't be put off by the cold because the National Palace Museum in the center of Taiwan is going to host the largest outdoor party of the year. The southern branch of the Central National Palace Museum is joining hands with a retailer, oh, Carrefour, at the Jai County government to throw an outdoor party on November the 19th, 20th and 21st. The admission is free for the festival, which will feature rotating performances by three prominent Taiwanese troops, the Paper Windmill Theatre, Diabolo Dance Theatre and Our Theatre. As well as shows by over 30 local cultural groups, the museum said in its Facebook post. Other highlights of the event is a market boasting more than 50 stalls providing food and artsy products characteristic of, cent of the central county. Divided into three themed zones, mountains, the ocean and plains, the fair will allow visitors to relish what Jai has to offer. The organizers asks that you bring your own cutlery and shopping bags to the party in the spirit of sustainability and environmental friendliness. There's also some Monopoly game that will be added to add some excitement. And yeah, that looks quite good. So you can go to the National Palace Museum's website or to the Carrefour website at carrefourartfestival.org. I will add that link on the show notes if you want to go. That's in Jai. Then the Canadian Chamber has a happy hour on Thursday, uh, November the 11th, between 7 and 11 p.m. Autumn has arrived and we're looking forward to our November 11th happy hour at Parklife Drinking Room, one of the coolest bars in Taipei. Come join us for a fun evening with friends. The date is Thursday the 11th from 7 to 11 and the venue is the Parklife Drinking Room. And you can go to the Canadian Chambers Facebook page or website to get more information. Then... There is a Riverside dinner and cocktail on Friday, the day after the Chamber's uh, event. And this is hosted by the Meat Cartel in collaboration with Carib Boys. Invite you to enjoy sundowners and delicious food by the beautiful Métis Riverside in Nehu. We got tents, ample seating, music and a gorgeous view. That is on Friday the 12th at 5 o'clock. It starts. There's no dress code. Come and enjoy uh, the start of fall. Food on offer will include South African beef burevos, kebabs, meat pies and jerk chicken. <laughs> Come hungry and ready to revel in the evening air. That you can go to the Facebook events page for Riverside Dinner Cocktails is their event page. Keeping to the South African theme, Saturday there is an event in Kaohsiung on Chijing Sunset Bar at the, on that little uh, beach bar down there in Kaohsiung. It is the Safa Fest Beach Braai and Be Beats. Uh, welcome to Paradise, a beach 
braai as in a barbecue, brandy, good food, good friends, good times, and dancing under the stars to the smells, sights, and sounds of South Africa. That's all they wrote. So <laughs> I guess you could go to their event page, which would be Safafest, S-A-F-F-A-F-E-S-T, Safafest. And the event is Beach, Bry and Beats, as in B-E-A-T-Z, Beats. That is Saturday, the 13th of November in Kaohsiung. And then Saturday, the same day, 13th of November in Shindian, there is a pool and spa party to say goodbye to the summer. Pool and spa party to say goodbye to the summer starts at 5 o'clock until 2 a.m. Wow. Wow, that's really late. I didn't know that pool stayed open so late. The last pool party is here. Let's say goodbye to the summer. Wear your bikini, a swimsuit, and come join us for some tropical vibe. A tropical vibe best in town. The entry is 200 pre-sale before the 11th of November or 250 at the door, which includes a drink and access to all the rooms. Mm. I don't know what that means. Spa. Oh, mind you, it's probably like saunas and stuff like that. Then they've put a note on here. We'll follow the government's COVID regulations. Text message, real name, real names, registration, wear a mask. Check your temperature, disinfect your hands, and keep a social distance. That is uh, until 2 a.m. I find that quite interesting. So that is on Huanhe Road. I guess the closest MRT to that would be Shindian MRT. So that's in Shindian. It's right next to the river. It's a huge swimming pool with slides and all kinds of stuff. All right. Well, with that, I shall end this week's show thank you for listening and again thank you to everyone who send me wonderful links of things that I probably never would find by myself if you have something that you want to introduce to the English speaking community in Taiwan or if you see an article that's interesting that you want to share copy paste send me the link if there's a new business that opens that you want to share let me know about it if you found a really nice place to visit or a restaurant also send me some details so we can share it with everyone and you can reach me on multiple platforms you can reach me through facebook the taiwan roundup facebook page or you can reach me through substack taiwanroundup.substack.com s-u-b-s-t-a-c-k substack.com you can subscribe on substack it doesn't cost anything and then when we release a show it goes right into your email box so you don't have to click on anything you get the audio show right in your email box and you just listen to it like a podcast alternatively you can send me an email at taiwanroundup at gmail.com taiwan r-o-u-n-d-u-p at gmail.com i will as usual put all the show notes and links to all the articles that we covered in the show in substack as well as on our facebook page and with that I bid you adieu.